Hello and welcome to the Nostalgia Podcast. A podcast where we discuss the retelling or continuation of pop culture favorites as seen through a queer and feminist lens. My name is Eric Lefebvre. And my name is Jessica Trezero. And this week we watched a brand new film that's out for the first time forever and ever uh, based on a franchise. Another amongst the lineage of retelling reboots or remakes. Um, and we did it right away. Thank you so much right Hulu, for putting this out yeah. right away. Although, so excited. to be fair, this episode won't be coming out for several weeks. So when it that's comes out, true. it'll feel a couple months old. But trust us, we watched it opening weekend and you should too. Um, so if you're hearing this, I hope you watched it. Um, we watched Predator and the perfectly titled Requel Prey. Like um, an incredible, like an absolute perfect title. It's, and and it's the perfect title, Predator Prey. Movie. Um, and movie, yeah. yeah. It's I have I have so much I am excited to discuss. I'm so so much I'm excited to say. Um, but first and foremost, Jess, what is your history with this IP, this character even? So this IP, the only thing that I, the only experience I have with Predator, again, I just know it's in the zeitgeist, like, but the literal only thing is I took a group of like teenage boys to see AVP, Alien versus Predator, <gasps> when that first dropped. Um, Hell yeah. And I hadn't seen Alien. I hadn't seen Predator, but like all the nephews wanted to go see it. And I was like, I guess we're going to go watch this. And I I was like 18 or something. So I was like finally able to like drive and do the thing. And I was like, okay, let's go. (laughs) And I don't remember much about the movie. (laughs) So I don't have a big history with it. But then like watching Predator, I'm like, oh, that's where that's from. Like the the arm meme. Now I'm like, oh, exactly. I get this. And I cannot wait to talk about that. Oh my God. Like as soon as it popped up, I was like, there's no way. There's no way that's what this is from. Oh my god. Okay. So you're just as lost as I was, it sounded like. Or just as new to this. Yeah, well, because I've seen Predator. I, well, to be fair, Predator was one of the first R-rated movies I've ever seen. Um, my dad had it on tape, and I don't know. I may have been like eight or nine or something, and we watched it. And I remember being like, "That's fucking crazy. That's so scary." Because it's like scary, but not really scary. It's just more like gruesome and terrifying because it's like, "What is this thing?" But that being said, I saw it when I was very young. I don't remember a lot about it. I've seen it since, but I don't remember when, and I don't remember much from it. <laughs> um, but very forgettable. I, it's yeah, it's 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 fine. Um, but when I did hear that the trailer for Prey dropped, and I remember just thinking like, a lot of people were saying like it looks bad, and in, rightfully so. There's a level of like, oh god, I bet white people made a fucking native movie. Yeah, and I we was so nervous. That. Yeah, I was yeah. so nervous because I'm like, it's a cool premise, and I think that's great. But historically. Cinema really is just a racist institution as a whole and treats any non-white people like shit, as we discuss literally every single time we do this podcast, but specifically also uh, native cultures and populations and the way that it caricatures indigenous people and Native American folks. And so I was very nervous. I was hopeful, but I was very nervous. Uh, And then I saw it and I am so excited to talk about it. So excited. Yeah, I I can't wait to say anything. I was so impressed. I read uh, several articles on how, um, you know, um, just before we like really get into it, like 
one of the executive producers had like handed everybody binders on the Comanche like nation and like, you know, like down to like every last detail and was like, we are going to get this right. This is how they brush their teeth. This is how like really wanted this to be a really good representation. And it was also dedicated to them. Right. Like and uh, there's a whole edit in the language. There's a whole edit of this movie that is in Comanche, like <gasps> in really. Yes. So part of it, too, is like they shot it that it's completely in the native language of the tribe that's being represented on screen. That's fucking fucking incredible. Beautiful. So that's an option. You can watch it <laughs> in non-English, which is so cool because um, already there's already like the whole like we're hearing English because it's a, it's a movie for largely English speaking communities. But there's an assumption that like when they get to the French portion, it's like, oh, well, they're speaking native language versus a fr this French language. And so you're yeah, it's the whole thing. But I'm so happy that they like it's cool. It's cool. And I can't wait to talk about it. <laughs> Obviously, I'm like jumping in already. Yeah. OK. But I, I did um, want to say right off the bat, um, it was really well done. And at least I, I think so. And um, I'm excited to talk about it because we I know you and I were both we talked about we're like, oh, my God, there's a new predator. Oh, this could be really good or really fucking bad. And yeah. I was really worried that it was going to be really bad um, seeing like who the director was, I think. Well, it's written, <laughs> right? written and directed by white people, which I was like, oh, yeah, no. And also, to be fair, I still think that that's a problem. I still think that that's bad. But I still I, I really enjoyed it. I still have so much positive shit to say about it. Okay. Um okay, you wanna just it. get into Predator? Let's, let's talk let's about just Predator. Do it. Okay. okay. In the calm, dark, and silence of outer space, an unmarked space vessel lands on Earth. Elsewhere, CIA agent Al Dillon recruits Vietnam War veteran buddy Alan Dutch Schaefer for a top-secret rescue mission. Alongside a crew of tough-as-nails warheads, the cavalcade venture into a deep, thicketed wilderness of Central America. Almost immediately, they come face-to-face -face with a crashed helicopter and the skinned and hung bodies of several men who had gone missing. Beginning to wane in confidence of his old wartime buddy, Dutch becomes suspicious of the operation's motives. After then stumbling onto a guerrilla war camp and witnessing the murder of one of the hostages, their friend, the team ambushes and kills everyone in sight with the exception of Anna, who is taken as a hostage. It comes to light that this was actually a sting operation to stop an arms deal, and Dutch, as well as most of the other men feeling rightfully perturbed, head straight for the helicopter extraction point. As they make their way, one of the men notices something. A mysterious camouflage creature is stalking them, a predator. One by one, the Predator takes these men through gruesome and brutal force. Using its signature trifecta laser beam and diprotrusional wrist spears, the Predator seeks and destroys every member of the party except for Dutch. Dutch discovers that if he covers himself in mud because of the Predator's heat-seeking vision, he would be essentially invisible to his monster. Dutch then devises a series of booby traps to ensnare the monster and save his own life, but when the monster evades said traps, Dutch is out of options. The Predator then sets a self-destruction timer, maniacally laughing into the night as Dutch runs and narrowly avoids being blown up in the process. Finally, a helicopter carrying a surprisingly survived Anna arrives and Dutch is safe from the Predator. Okay, I want to go on record and say that this movie is a big old snoozer. And, <laughs> it kind of um, sucks. Like, as it a was whole, not good. It's... Okay, okay. So first of all, I'm pretty sure that this is the soundtrack to Home Alone. 
Yeah. <laughs> the, the, okay, the soundtrack is fucking wild. It's like the silliest of silliest hijinks. Um, the the person went, what did they do for this uh, before this? They did like um, Back to the Future or something just before this. The music. Yeah. And yeah, then he's done um, pretty much all of Robert Zemeckis's movies also. Yes. So yeah. it tracks. And I'm just like, that's why this feels like a hijinks. Oh, my God. And then in the final fight, um, I don't know if you noticed this, too, but like it is daytime. It is nighttime. It's supposed to be nighttime. But there are lots of shots where it is clearly daytime. And I was just so like, I was like, what the fuck is happening with this movie there's like that shot where it's like very clearly a foam sword <laughs> went through yes. it's a it's a hundred percent a foam sword just like right there and i was like this is the wildest wildest thing and the writers wrote this in like a weekend right yeah so we and i was gonna say we should bring this up as like a just a tone setter for like what this movie is yeah, yes yeah. go ahead go ahead so the writers when they wrote it it was essentially a running joke in hollywood that like oh rocky's gonna run out of people to fight okay well what if like rocky fought in space like what if rocky fought an alien thus the premise of predator where it's essentially like tough macho guys fighting a literal alien that's kind of it and that's so it's Rocky what, versus the alien. It's Rocky yeah. versus the alien. It, it was the joke, and that's what it became. And first time screenwriters. And a first, wrote this yeah, movie. first time screenwriters. And it shows. <laughs> yeah, I mean, congrats to them, and I'm so happy that their stuff is getting made. And they did make arguably a very um, iconic film because they did essentially create this IP and the lineage of Predator that continued years and years to come, including this most recent adaptation of this world. Um, so that's cool, but as as far as like a first first movie, um, is yeah, I don't know. It's like Arnold. <laughs> this is okay. I I want to also be very clear. This is the third Arnold film we've done on the podcast. This is the third. Oh one. my god, he's been on yeah. the show a lot, <laughs> and every time thus far we've talked about how his acting is so subpar and is probably arguably the worst part of each of these movies. This movie very much runs that same same assumption uh he's bad he's not a good actor he's not good in this um it's just a lot of like oh i mean iconic lines get to the job ah like so many good <laughs> moments again like he's arnold we get it um he wants to be reagan so fucking badly um that's oh his whole God. deal that's arnold right it's fucking fine it's it's overall it's kind of a snoozer. There's a lot of iconic moments, and to be fully fair, I remember there being a lot more Predator in it the first time I saw it. Like, I know at the end, like the last fifteen minutes, he's like omnipresent because it's literally just him and Dutch. But they really don't even fucking see him, and I guess it's like Until the hallmark of any movie, good horror. But like even more than halfway, like it's like an hour and ten minutes in, and suddenly it's like, yeah. wait, the monster's there, and it's like, oh my god, like, ugh. What was the joke? Eric, whenever I say something like this, Eric, there's that Simpsons reference of like, when are we going to get to the fireworks factory? Um, and we were watching this like, when are we going to get to the monster factory? Because he's just, <laughs> he's literally just not showing up. Like, where is, like, and I know he's supposed to be invisible and like, that's a whole deal, but I'm like, show up, give us something more than like, pfft, spaceship farted out a little alien pod and now he's somewhere on earth. Like, you need to give us more yeah. than that in the first two acts. Because to me, <laughs> none of this is like, none of that like first hour and 10 minutes is like fun or like silly. Like, I mean, it's like, 
silly, I guess, but it's not entertaining. It's not good. There's no character work. It's so fucking boring. <laughs> it's just a lot of like macho men being macho at each other in like a very homoerotic way. The only yes. character development that we see is between Al and Dutch, right? Like their whole like, we were Vietnam bros and like, I missed you, man. And like, don't you remember the good old days of killing innocent people for the U.S. government? Wasn't that sick? And they're like, yeah, I fucking love that. And then the more we find out and it's like, wait, why is this guy hanging from a like hanging from a tree's skin? This is the guy we were looking for. I don't trust you. Like, mm, you should still trust me. What? You were fucking double cross me. Oh, man, I'm never going to work but with you again. But even that is like, like it's so it feels like story beats. Yeah, there is boring. Nobody boring. has. Nobody has an arc other than Mac, right? Like, Mac is the only one that, like, sees what the Predator does to his boy, to the sexual Tyrannosaur. Oh and <laughs> And he's terrified. And he, you can tell, like, he's, like, sh literally shaving his face off, right? Yeah. And, like, he's the only one that I feel, like, goes on a journey. Everybody else is just pretty stoic. And, like, they're trying to have a conversation. I feel, like... The most, it's so silly, but the most notes I have are about like the military and like also military like how, complex? The, and yeah. how these, how these men like exist within that, right? And how their characters just kind of embody that where it's like, you know, they're left in the dark, they shoot first, ask questions later, don't worry about consequences, where like they weren't even told that like, this was a one-way trip, essentially. They weren't told that they were going to be shooting other soldiers. Like, all these data points that they should have had, right? And then they, like, one of them starts shooting, then everybody comes in and starts shooting, and half of the rainforest is gone now. Um, but, like, I like that they show how incompetent they are, like, almost every turn, right? Where, like, they didn't notice the alien blood, and Anna absolutely noticed it, and she's like, fuck these guys, they're going to die, and I'm going to get away, and I'm going to do something. And she but leaves, they don't and even... she runs. She saves herself. She <laughs> she's does. Like, fuck you guys. <laughs> she's like, I'm out. But, like, they don't even question her. She's the only witness to, like, all of these murders, and they don't even try to talk to her, like, just because... I don't know, men and she's a woman and ew, gross. Um, well, it's also, I feel like her whole introduction to this movie, let's talk about her. Okay, Anna. Yeah. Her whole introduction to this movie comes from a very, like, weirdly, like, infantilizing place. Like, I understand that, like, she's the only perceivable femme person in this camp, but it really does feel like it's coming from a place of, like, I'm saving you for sex, like, in a really mm -hmm. nasty way. Like, Arnold Schwarzenegger, like, the longing eyes and, like, Oh, like I can't kill her. She's pretty. Like, gross. Like, not to be nasty, but like, if she was not an attractive person, I feel like they would have killed her. A hundred percent. Like they yeah. they wouldn't have given a shit. But the fact that she's pretty to Dutch, Dutch is like, oh, maybe we should like not kill her because the other think? ones wanted to right like yeah. um, Dylan was like, no, let's not do this right, and Arnold is like. Yeah, maybe she's cool. Like, let me in, let me free her or whatever. <laughs> you know. And that's oh, a what's whole... your? And he oh literally is the only person that asks. Hey, what's your name? Yeah. Nobody even like humanized her even a little bit to that moment. But the only reason he's like doing that is because of those reasons that you're talking about. It's not because she's a person who's valuable or she knows what's going on or, you know, maybe she has information. What were you doing here? Like they could have literally asked, what were y'all doing here in the middle of this? Like, but we don't even get that because we're running from Predator. 
She's literally just a middle of the woods sex object for them on their lonely quest. And I want to be very clear. They would have all I mean, they all did die, but they would have all died a lot sooner um, if she didn't warn them. Like when she is taken by um, Big Pussy. What's his name? <laughs> oh, my I forget God. His, I forget his name. When uh, he he's dies. He's Pussy Boy in my notes. Yeah. Big, yeah. big Pussy Guy. When he dies first and she witnesses his death and like is like, fuck. And she's like, it's invisible. It's in the trees. I don't know what it is. It like broke. And they're like, oh, fuck you. You're a liar. And she's like, no, I'm serious. And then they find his entrails. And they're like, oh, fuck. Without the information of like her being like a invisible, a big enough to like literally sever your boy in an instant, and is like he is many pieces now. Um, I feel like they would have hit belligerently just continued in their like, oh, that's probably not him. He probably ran away to go fuck somebody or like go home. Like they are dumb men and they're dumb and bad, and they would not have taken his disappearance seriously without her very newly traumatized information like hey this is bad you're all gonna die (laughs) also billy billy the indigenous one right yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) who is is half uh half cherokee so yeah but like also we're still perpetuating some like the stereotype of his caricature it felt a little too caricature and like especially for a movie that's so haphazard and so like reckless with the way that it's portraying any non-cis meathead Right. Got people. Um, I did not like the way his character was portrayed because, again, it was very much just like, like, quiet. Like, listen to the. Wo- it was. It was. It just felt. It, it felt was, like a it caricature. Like it didn't feel earnest. It, it felt, felt like a cartoon in, character. Indigenous mysticism. Like, oh, I can yeah, feel it. Like, I can. Like, it was not. Great. <laughs> it was not great. Not he was not great. His death also was not great. A lot of no. it. Um, mo- like to be fair, most of this movie is not great overall because, again, it feels like kind of a nothing movie. It feels like. It feels like a written in a weekend movie. <laughs> like it really does. It feels just thrown together. It feels and, very first pass. It feels very first pass. Like there's not a lot of development here because it does favor the the cis hat men. Um, and they're like, oh yeah, that's fine. We literally don't have to worry about how they interact with anybody else because the story's just about them. We're good. Um, oh, just make sure there's a homoerotic tension between the two friends. Um, but they're not gay, no homo. You're good. I mean, like all of them, kind of though, right? So there's like between Arnold and Dylan, right? And we can argue that like maybe Dylan wanted to get rid of Anna because she was a threat to him and his place and where he saw himself in this, you know, group and especially to Arnold um, or Dutch or whatever the fuck. But like there's so much like the handshake it like lingers so much longer than it needs to, right? And they're like, "Oh, but I'm I'm bigger." No, I'm bigger. No, I'm bigger, right? Okay. And then there's go ahead. No, I was gonna say the 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 arm the arm meme. We we mentioned it earlier. We mentioned it in the introduction. So if you're listening to this, I'm sure we'll like post it on Instagram or something. But you know the meme where it's like one big big fucking bulky arm and the other big bulky arm, and they're like clasped hands, like shaking hands, like broy, and then in the middle it's like a shared interest. So it's like one interest, another interest, the one thing they have in common. It's the Venn diagram of macho handshakes. That meme is like a 10 minute long shot in this movie. It was so fucking long. It was so long. I was like, what is happening? Because like they they like grasp each other like, oh yeah, bro hand thing, right? And then they start like mid-air arm wrestling with this like big ass smile on their faces. And they're just like, 
oh no, I'm gonna win. Oh no, I'm bigger. I'm you know, I'm big and stronger. Like, oh my gosh, okay. I'm gonna get you this time. It's like this like really like playful back and forth, and I'm like like I read this piece by like one of my professors about this movie like oh, a year ago and how this movie is just a hundred percent gay and here it is, <laughs> you know, and I'm like well, Yeah. I have so much more to say about that. That's actually the biggest portion of my notes and the biggest portion of my um examination of this movie. Um, I want to talk about cigar fetishes as an idea, just to sort of like set yes. the groundwork for who we're seeing here, how they're interacting, and what they are to each other. So in the queer community, in the sort of like Dom um, sort of pseudo-BDSM community, there is a sort of like top daddy energy that is engulfed in the idea of smoking cigars, of being sexual with cigars, cigar ashes, the phallic nature of a round, thick stick that you sort of swirl in your mouth and constantly keep on your lips. Um, in these queer spaces, it is a very intentionally phallic dominating aspect. Like that is the signature, a, 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 a reference to fellatio. It's a reference to a dick in the mouth. Like that's the point of it. And cigars are very phallic in nature, in general. Our first shot of Dutch. We see him, what's he doing? He's smoking a big fat cigar, a big swirling fat cigar, and for the first 10 minutes, that is the only thing he can think about and spend time with is a big fat fucking cigar until he sees his old Vietnam buddy. They do their handshake, and the first thing they do is try to out-strong each other and in a very giddy sort of playful, like, I'm gonna get you, I'm gonna get you. And so... That's the foundation for this movie. That's how we're being introduced to these characters. I mean, it goes away as they start getting just literally killed in the jungle. But base level, the the, the cigar I mean, I is so it... overt and phallic and like, come on. I don't know if it really goes away, though, because like, okay. so when we get to the jungle, there's also the scene with the vine, right, where they're like trying to get water or something, right? So they cut this vine and then they put it in like the the guy puts it in his mouth and has to suck out the, you know, to like get the the juices going or whatever and it's this like white milky liquid that like then he like you know he does that and as soon as he does that somebody says something and he turns away and he gets it like all over himself yeah. and I'm like yes so to be fair also the first thing the first thing that Dylan says to Dutch is you're looking good, Dutch. Like, it's an initial comment on his appearance. The first thing he sees is, wow, you're looking good. Good meaning muscly. Big, strong, big man. Big, hot man he wants to fuck. Like, mm -hmm. you're looking good. I know it's it, it's a casual sentiment. It doesn't have a lot behind it. But based on everything we've seen thus far, the arm wrestle, the cigar, the sizing up, the sort of giddiness of, of rekindling an old friendship... For him to say you're looking good, Dutch, that is so fucking loaded. Mm -hmm. It's so loaded, Jess. It's like crazy. Oh, absolutely. And again, I do think that's why, like, because at every point he tries to, like, discredit Anna or be like, she means nothing or she doesn't know or she's telling you what you want. Like, and also, like, discrediting, like, the team too where he's like trying to play with them and like he can't keep up anymore and he doesn't have this like symbiotic relationship that he supposedly used to have with Dutch and with the whole thing so he's like I mean he's big bad but also 
another way I think that this movie doesn't let up on the gayness is just like as we continue to move through the movie, everybody just gets more wet and the their tits just come out. The, the, the shirts slowly get unbuttoned like to where like they're not wearing anything basically. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, great. Cool. Let's do and- this. I mean, I agree. There's some hot people in this movie. It's a it's a movie full of hotties, arguably. And I agree. A bunch of strong hotties in this movie. Yes. Um, it's so gay, Jess. And, okay, so then if we want to talk about, like, the invisible killer, right? So this came out um, mm. in the 70s during, like, you know, the big AIDS crisis and everything. And so oh, the 80s. 70s, 80s. That's what I meant. Oh, you yeah. know what I meant. <laughs> oh, my God. You know what I meant. <laughs> I know. Um, I know. I know. I know. <laughs> Um, you know, already this predator is uh, invisible going after uh, men and these men that are in like, you know, these um, groups of men together. Right. So uh, so we had the first group of soldiers that was killed together. Right. And now this next group is coming and they're you know, they're all interacting together. Or they all have contact together. They all die. Um, and then there's also the line from Anna where she says uh, the old women in the village said that. It only came out in the hottest years, so we can read into that a little bit, but it only killed men, right? Because it wasn't interested in Anna. And, yeah. you know, we can argue that, like, it wasn't interested in her because it didn't have a gun, right? Which could also be phallic in this whole, you know, I mean, the sexual tyrannosaurs, like, big giant gun that, what what do you call it? Oh, he named it Painless. Yeah. But, like, he's just, like, wielding that wherever he can, right? Like, this is another AIDS allegory. Yeah, one hundred percent. Because also too, it's 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 gotten this first group of men, and there's like a camaraderie aspect to it. Like this first group of men were together; they were very close, and they all died together. And now this next group of men is going to come out, and it is quite literally like the silent killer, the invisible killer. They don't know what it is; they don't know where it's coming from, how it's getting to them, what it's doing. But suddenly, before they know it, it's too late, and that is that. And if we're going to continue, just as far as like the allegory for like queerness. It like the more you think about it, the more it's very evident and very clear. I mean, when they're in the chopper on their way there, there's sort of like a giddiness and they're all kind of like looking at each other. The radio is playing and they're like kind of having a jovial little time. And there's the and red light while they're the getting red light, dressed oh and like getting ready. Like queen it's literally it's just like it's there it's it's oh my god. He literally says like, you know, like the big F word. He yes. drops the big well, F, right? Well, that's what I was going to say. He says it when the tension's like really high. They're in this red lit room. The radio is playing some sort of like fun, it's uppity Little music. Richard. Little Richard. Thank you. So gay uh, mm-hmm. music is on the radio. Red is the only color of the light in the helicopter. There is tension, palpable tension. They're all looking at each other, waiting couple of them reminisce say like wow i miss this feeling like don't you remember when we used to do this all the time how fucking cool was that like i miss this to break that tension one of them who's like doing chew just says the phrase slack jawed faggots cool immediate gay tension break also self-hate because if he is also yeah. in this space he is in that space and there is internalized homophobia attached to it and what does he do he spits his chewing tobacco on his shoe. Um, come, it's come. He did it's come. It's like he shot all over the top of his shoe, mm-hmm. and they show it. It's like clear, and it's so explicit and succinct. 
It's so gay. Jess, it's so gay. It's so gay. And then to like cover for that, because the only thing about like Glasses Boy, who went on to be like a writer or something, right? Like, or let's. He wrote um, uh, Shane something. Lethal Weapon, right? Yeah, yes, Shane went on to write something. Lethal Weapon. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyways, so his whole character, he has glasses and he talks about pussies. He has two lines, basically. And the first one is like, a big pussy joke like oh my god her pussy's so big ha 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 right and nobody laughs at it because nobody thinks it's funny right and then the second line he has is another big pussy joke and nobody thinks it's funny because nobody gives a shit about women but it's so performative too right like it's not even told well it's not a well-told joke he's stumbling over himself and he's like trying to be like i i'm cool right like i'm not i'm not gay see i'm talking about this He's performing straightness for these other men who, in the allegorical sense, he's already had sex with. Like, he mm-hmm. has been in close quarters intimate with these men, and he is in a public setting, the public sphere, amongst other assumedly non-gay people trying to be like, yeah, pussy, women, big pussy. And they're like, stop. Like, we don't, we literally don't care. Like, oh, uh, you mean more pussy? Like, no. We don't mean <laughs> we don't mean that at all. Um, what a fucking silly time! This uh, was a wild ride. Oh, another great line! I ain't got time to bleed from our sexual tyrannosaur. Um, I was okay. Sexual that tyrannosaurus. Is, sorry, but yeah. I also love the way that it's received. Like, hey, you're hurt. You need to like help yourself. And he's like, I ain't got time to bleed. And then. I think it's Dylan is just like, ah, okay. <laughs> like, great. <laughs> cool. Yeah, go for it. Go die. Go die in the woods. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's so, it's so thrown away and uh, it's so funny. Um, it's so good. Yeah. Oh, I also just like the general, the demon who makes trophies of man is what Anna sort of describes as the monster, just based on lore, right? Um, the demons that make trophy of man, and then the camera racks like rack focuses to Arnold as if to imply like if we're going to transition into conversation about the military industrial complex, it's the demon who makes trophies of man. Pans straight to Arnold, who is this proud Vietnam vet who like prides himself on the idea of like having killed many people and is like obsessed with the notion that he's a big strong American soldier, right? Um. As a really nice, succinct reminder that, like, as an allegory for the predatory nature, like, if we're going to take away the the queer context of, like, gay sex, which I never want to, but alas, here we are, <laughs> um, as an allegory for the predatory nature of the American-U.S. military-industrial complex, what an apt piece what an apt line to sort of resonate and to tie the narrative together because that's literally what's happening it's like american exceptionalism as an idea and as a notion that runs rampant in the military and the way that we obliterate people like it's not even it's not even war at that point it's just genocide in a lot of contexts and in a lot of in a lot of places like it's just that's just what happens we go and kill people for literally no reason or for money and that's it it's interesting that that line like it's a demon who makes trophies of man it's like yeah that's the american military it's also a really interesting one that's paired with like the first line one of the first lines out of arnold's mouth is 
uh, were a rescue team, not assassins, right? When they literally kill all these people. But what makes that even more hypocritical and like more interesting uh, talking about like American exceptionalism, right? Is he's putting himself above Dylan at that point to be like, I'm a soldier. I am an American soldier. I do what I have to do. I don't kill people. I help people. I, I'm a rescue team. When like really they walked into this camp and shot everybody without even like giving them a chance to like you know, or like having any sort of a dialogue, right? Because that was their orders, because that's what Dylan had asked them to do, right? But like, not even asking Dylan any questions. It's just so funny to me that even in the midst of something like this, and this work, because there's also a line where they're like, this reminds me of Afghanistan, you know, which like, for me was like, oh, yeah, we've, we've been doing this stuff for so fucking long. Because like, for me, it's like, I grew up when 9-11 happened and stuff like that. And then it's like, oh, we're going to war. And it's like, wait, no, we've been here the whole time, you know? Yeah. Um, yes. And this is just one of those like cultural moments where it's like, yeah, it's it's just never fucking stopped. Um, but like that moment for me was just kind of like, all right, here we are. Like, <laughs> you know? Yeah, um, it's, it's wild. And it also just leads to the notion of also like this sort of blind ignorance to heroism when it comes from like sort of u.s military personnel there's this idea that like we are the heroes we are the safety like we help people and it's like that's it's delusional and it's it's intentionally delusional like it's taught delusion um to assume that you are doing this like well we have to kill people because those people kill people it's like you don't know that and that's also not true like Mm -hmm. you there's this ignorant justification that i feel like a lot of and i you know what i'm ignorant on the subject just because i've never been to i've never been enlisted i've never been a part of the military period but the way it like chews people up and spits people out when they get wise to the notion that like maybe what we're doing is bad maybe what we're doing isn't evil like i don't i don't want to speak as if i've experienced this because i haven't i'm ignorant to that experience but what i can say is that notion of like blind american exceptionalism it's bad. <laughs> what I mean, what else? Like, yeah. I, I don't, I don't really know what else to say on the subject except for like it's, it's delusional, and I feel like a lot of people who come out of it have so much regret and so much like, like I can't believe, like, I, I mean, to some of it, it's like, well, you have to think that way if you're going to be there doing that thing, and the only way that you're going to be able to get through it is if you kind of put blinders on a little bit, because otherwise, it's disgusting, it's horrible and awful, like. But you're there and you have to be there. And you're now at the point where you're like, you're like I made a mistake, maybe. Um, you're stuck and you're there and you're forced to do these things. Um, so it's just a, a bad, gross situation. And I think Arnold's character, Dutch, is a prime example of like, no, but I'm good. Like like you said, he he says he's a, he's there to save people. He doesn't kill people. He saves people. He spends the entire movie killing people. Like he saves one person because he thinks he's going to have sex with her later. Every other man who is not on his team, who he sees, he kills. He's not a savior. He's a murderer. That is the point. But he's deluded himself into believing that because he is there with the intentions of good, no matter what he does, he is justified in his actions because he intended to do good. And furthermore, I think that bleeds into cop mentality because there's an intention to do good without no follow through for doing good. Therefore, the intentions are irrelevant because everything you do is bad and all cops are bad. Boom. 
I mean, there's like this intention to do good when he doesn't even know what he's there to do. Literally, how thing. can you have good so intentions like, if you don't even know what you're doing? Right. And it's orders. So even if it's not like it's like you said, it's that delusion of like, I'm giving these orders. I have to follow them because I'm the good guy. Right. Yeah. Like, that's that's how he's able to sleep at night. But again, like, how can you have good intent when you don't even know the purpose that, of why you're here? And your first reaction is to gun down an entire forest because one of your men was shooting at yep. something. And Part of me, too, I tried to look it up, but I couldn't find it. So this takes place in a fictitious Central American country. Valverde, I think is what it's called, um, yeah. as to not offend anybody in like South America. I mean, or South it was Central literally America. shot. The entirety of it was shot in Mexico. Right. It was like and, it takes place in Mexico. <laughs> and my thing was like, how much of the forest did they actually destroy making this? Because I don't know how much it looked it was real. Fake. I don't know how yeah. much of it was fake, and it was the 80s, and I was very worried. Um, also, everybody on set got Montezuma's Revenge um, <gasps> from the food, and everybody canonically says that this was, like, the worst hell to film. They were in Mexico for two months. They all got food poisoning, at, or the Montezuma's Revenge, all, like, really, really, really bad. And it was just, it was a really bad time, and I believe it. <laughs> yeah. I believe it, because this is a bad time. This is a bad time. This is a bad time. Um, 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 I did really like, there's a couple things that I really liked. One was I liked that they didn't subtitle Anna when she was speaking before she started speaking English. But also, the predator was fucking terrifying. I thought that was really cool. Um, like when we did finally get them, I like the predator as like kind of like, you know, we're, we're talking about like masculinity and stuff too, like the predator as the apex of this like masculine ideal, right? Of like literally killing for sport of like having like, cause there was a couple of moments where I was like, why would he throw away the gun and just go hand to hand? Oh yeah, never mind. <laughs> you men, know? Yeah. Uh, men, I get it. But it's also um, <laughs> the predator doesn't see women as a threat. Um, which also means that in their world, uh, sexism also exists, um, which is a whole nother can of worms to like open. But, um, I thought that was a a fun take. It's, I mean, it's interesting. And it's also very clear that it's coming from male, uh, bias, male bias, Bias. male biases. It's being written and sort of like created by men and white men, um, to be clear, which also leads me into the design elements of the Predator. This was the big, another big thing that I wanted to talk about. Yes, I did a little bit of research and reading, and there have been conversations about this, and it is especially true, apparently, in Predator Two, in the which city. I did watch also. Yes. So m- maybe you can speak to this. But the 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 design of the Predator's headpiece and the way that his hair exists is intentionally dreaded like it looks like yes dreadlocks it looks intentionally dreadlocked and there's no reason for this other than intentional or in- unintentional racial biases of people equating black men as dangerous that's literally the only explanation for this there is no justification for these design elements to exist outside of the notion that the people who designed this used a black male hairstyle to show and disperse fear amongst an audience and using 
these racial depictions as a means of monstracizing or creating a monster of and therefore perpetuating racial fear and stereotypes within that racial fear. It's gross. It's a really, like, I'm not going to say it's small. It is a completely unacknowledged and unnuanced reality. Obviously, nobody who was a part of this is going to come out and say, like, oh, yeah, whoops, we designed him to look like a black guy. But there is a base element, again, like I had said earlier, whether intentionally or unintentionally, we know this. I mean, the second one does double down and triple down on all of the racist stuff where it's literally the Jamaicans are fighting the Mexicans. And I was like, what the fuck is this? And then they like try to do like this weird ass like depiction of voodoo and be like, yeah, you fear me because of my voodoo and stuff. And I was like. So, so I this take, is what we're doing. And I take I take back the benefit of the doubt that I was giving any of my previous statements. It is. It's so intentional. It's it, like it's yeah. so specific and it's so unnuanced. Like it's not even a version of it is. It is exactly yeah. what we think it is. And that's fucking gross. It's so gross and like so abysmally neglectful. Oh my God. It's just so dangerous. That is so dangerous. To do that kind of bullshit. Anyways, fuck Like, that we're going to have the scariest alien <laughs> from space, but they're going to have dreads. Yeah. Oh, no. Like, but what's the what? other, what's the scariest thing? Do they have oh, any other body people. hair? No, they don't. Okay. <laughs> it's so gross. It's so gross. Fuck that. And fuck this design. And fuck Predator. Fuck Ugh. this. Okay. Nasty. Next that was one? the last thing I had to say. Yeah, let's do the next yeah. one. On the Great Plains of 1719 Native American wilderness, a young Comanche woman named Naru is training to become a family hunter. Joined by her dog, Sari, Naru is insistent on proving her skills to her brother Tabe and the rest of her tribe by accompanying them on a search party looking for a fellow hunter who was attacked by a lion. Pressured by the other young men of the tribe, Tabe is resistant to accept her help. Naru convinces them by providing the medicinal skill set in aiding the injured hunter after they agree to let her join. After finding and aiding the hunter, Tabe decides to leave the group and hunt for the lion himself, and Naru is forced to return with the party. She sees some extraordinarily unusual tracks and an abnormally skinned rattlesnake and decides to circle back to search for Tabe, fearing for his safety. Naru is knocked out and carried home by Tabe, who returns to kill the lion and is appointed chief following his success. Still convinced of an ominous and invisible threat, Naru and Sari head off to the wilderness to train and search for the mysterious creatures. After running into a field full of decaying and skinned bison, Naru is attacked by a bear near the river. Just as she is about to be killed, an invisible and powerful force destroys the bear in front of her. Armed with proof of this new predator, Naru bolts back to the village. Along her way, she runs into another search party out in the wilderness looking for her and Sari. As she's informing them of this new beast, Predator attacks, killing every single member of her party except for her. As she flees for her life, her ankle snaps, trapped in an iron bear trap. A trap belonging to French colonialists, and she is taken captive. At their camp, she discovers that Tabe has also been captured by the pistol-wielding settlers. In an attempt to capture the creature themselves, the French tie Naru and Tabe to a tree as bait to lure the predator from hiding. In no surprise to anybody, the predator rips the colonizers limb from limb and leaves Naru and her brother because they pose no threat. 
Shortly thereafter, in an attempt to save his sister, Tabe is killed by the predator and Naru flees. Echoing the original, Naru sets an incredible series of booby traps amongst the nighttime trees and using all the knowledge she's obtained from watching his hunting style, Naru masterfully traps and beheads this otherworldly creature. Covered in a green translucence, Nauru returns to the tribe with the predator's head in hand, cautions her tribe to seek higher land, and is heralded as a hunter for her people. So, um, first and foremost, we are white. <laughs> so yes. a lot of what we're going to say in this whole thing, including some of the pronunciations in the intro, we're coming at it from a fairly educated perspective, but we also don't exist or have experience in this. And this is a very native film, like intentionally so, specifically so, even though, as we discussed earlier, written and directed by white people, still, as problematic as that is, there was so much intent, intentional, and like care put into this, especially when it came to Comanche representation on screen and the way that it was shot, even including an entire dub of the film that is in nothing but native language, which I think is so cool. And like no movie has really done that, right? I don't think so. And like, yeah, I had no idea until you told me just before we started like this pod. And I was like, oh my God, that's the coolest thing. Had I known that I would have watched it in the native language, but I'll probably watch it again, so Same. I will absolutely watch it. Um. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, I'm I'm 100 gonna watch this again because first, firstly, like, what a fucking cool movie! I was so nervous, like we talked about earlier, that they this was gonna be a fucking mess because uh, it was either gonna be really good, which thankfully it was, or it was gonna be an absolute train wreck. And I think they did a really good job of taking because again, it's like it is on its face a native heroic story that happens to exist in the same world where Predator exists. So it's like, what a cool fight. Like, I, I have so I have so many thoughts. I feel like <laughs> the Predator themselves, like, I have so few notes on them because this is not about Predator. This is about Naru and her journey. And there's... First of all, there's more character development in the first two minutes of this movie than there was in the entire last film, which is Quite great and we literally. Love. But yeah, there's I have like two notes for the Predator because it wasn't the Predator's movie. It was Naru's movie. And I yeah. love that even in the title, it makes it makes sure that you know that this is not about the Predator. This is about the prey. This is about who the Predator has come to hunt, to destroy, to just for, you know, for sport, as we know. And I love that we're even centering her on the title and to echo that even further the comment and the notion of the the word prey as a way to like belittle and infantilize and to make small the way that culture at large has made women at every fucking turn to then use it as sort of a proclamation of strength in the way that we see naru accomplish every step of her journey is just so cool because she's literally the prey. Like she's this literally. young girl who is not taken seriously by even her fellow people, her brother, like her f brother, her family, her village. She's not seen as this powerful hunter who she knows she is. And so this ultimate bad, the predator himself, who, I mean, we've already seen the predator's gone up against like muscle men with miniguns, like, <laughs> many <laughs> like, many and suddenly there's this like automatic young... weapons even yes and there's this young girl 
who has become such a good, fierce, intelligent hunter. She is taking him on single-handedly. And in a conceptual... like I, I want to talk about like the whole end sequence. We'll get there. But we watch her develop her skill with this hatchet that she has. And... And this, invent it, invent like reinvent yes. what this weapon is. Like, like the scorpion hatchet shit, like like from tree to tree to back and forth, like on this vine, like it's it's a whip sword. Like it's so And she works for it. She works yeah. for it and we literally watch her fail. Like the we open on her failing, learning how to throw this thing. She can't do it. She keeps missing. It's not how she wants it. It's not the way she's working it. We're seeing her her diligence. Step one, we we haven't even heard her speak. We're already seeing that she's willing to work and she's willing to work. She's willing to work harder than anybody else thus far. What a good way to start this movie. And I can't even handle like how exciting it is to watch her. Yeah, this movie is one of the most incredible and like engaging and fresh things I've seen in a really 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 long time which I never thought that I would say like for a predator film yeah um, you are immediately taken into this world and it's so well thought out it's like the world building in this is so good the characters are all incredible and so good Naru's struggle is like it is so well told um, and so well earned. Like Naru is absolutely not a Mary Sue, right? No, she's not she's just awesome. automatically good at everything, <laughs> right? She is good at these things, but she is smart and she is capable, and it's because she learns, right? And she is brave enough to be like, no, this is where I want to be. And she fails and she learns from failing, but she doesn't let that stop her, right? So, like when we see her kill the predator when we see this battle between those two we're like she's fucking earned this like even to the point to where we're going back to these moments of failure for her like with the quicksand or you know things like that and it's like no we're here like she's she's reclaiming this and using this to her advantage you know what i mean and it's just so smart and it's such a good <sighs> way to tell stories and specifically this one like i can't like i'm not even joking jess the level of like payoff narrative shit in this movie is like akin to like the way we felt about like watching the karate kid, like the classic aspects of like his journey where like everything sort of pays off the moment where she's like sinking and she, she gets herself out of it. And then the echoing that back her literally watching the way he fights, not speaking on it, watching it the way the camera shows us that we know that she's knowing how it's affected how it's active how it's killing what it's doing how it's doing it and we watch her absorb every piece of this information throughout the film and in the final battle every one of those moments that we watched her absorb that information is utilized to her advantage and you watch it all come together in this moment like her sliding the, the way she makes him cut his own arm off the way she redirects his laser for the ultimate redirected shot like the way she throws him sticks him in that quicksand that she was once stuck in like she sees that wrist fucking sword that comes out and she kicks herself between two boulders to keep from being beheaded like she knows and and that's one of the things about it also is like her intuition is so palpable. Like that's part of like her walking back and these kind of like 
goofy guys are like, yeah, whatever, you're the girl and we don't want you here. And she's noticing like, those tracks are fucking weird. Why is that snake like that? Like, I know how to skin a snake. I know what this is and that's fucked up and that's weird and that doesn't look correct. Something's going on and they're like, yeah, whatever. It's probably just, she's like, no, you guys are dumb. I know what's up. I'm going to go save my brother because he's in trouble just like this guy was in trouble and just like you guys are all in trouble. We're in trouble. Listen to me. They literally tell her to get back in the kitchen. Yeah, like, literally. They literally tell her to go back in the kitchen. And I could not get over that. I was like, yes, incredible. This well, is perfect. And then one by one, because they underestimated her like the predator, right? They are all killed, right? <laughs> like they don't believe her. They I, Literally, if they just believed her, if they turned around and like, you know, but instead they decide that they're going to beat her up and be like, no, we're taking you back home. Like, which like I... You know, we see Naru in the beginning of this, like, kind of, like, reject her position in society that she's been given, right? And, like, kind of question that. We see her mom, you know, just continue to say, look, you're good at so many things. Like, why can't you just be good at this one thing? You don't have to go out and prove any of that. And she's like, yeah, actually, I do. Because even if I were to set foot over there, these boys are telling me that I don't belong and to get back in the kitchen, right? And I like that there's these moments, like, and she has so much age right she doesn't tell anybody where she's going she doesn't like ask for permission she just fucking goes off on her and is like i'm gonna go get the predator thanks bye like you know i know that this is right i know that i have to do this it's fine right but like also the visuals that go along with that where she is getting ready to go gather like every morning right and then she decides no she goes back home puts away her uh, her gathering tools and then walks the opposite way of all of the other women right and she's wearing different colors than the other women right and in the beginning of the film we see the makeup that she has right you know and she's like you know I'm a warrior I'm gonna do this I'm, I'm a hunter I've got this and as she starts to fail like that washes off in each scene like there's less of that right as she maybe starts to doubt herself or maybe like she She's learning like she's going through it right but then right at the end she's just like nope I've figured everything out this is who I am we're going we're gonna do this right the way that all of that was done like she wants to do this because nobody else thinks she can right and I think that's even what she says I mean and including she, the predator including the predator doesn't predator. think she can like, and, the way and literally, 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 like, the boys, like, when the predator comes or whatever, they don't cut her loose. So, like, because they tie her hands to get her back home, right? So, she fucking fights with her hands tied and frees herself. Like, what a good allegory or, like, you know, symbolism for, like, literally her entire struggle in this entire fucking movie. Yeah. Also, just echoing what we said before with um, Anna in the first one, there's a recognition of, like, she isn't a threat, and so there is this conversation about sexism. In this one, Naru literally says, I am not a threat and that's what makes me dangerous. You can't see me and it can't either. Using the notion that she is a vulnerable piece of prey, she's not to be even looked at because she's not she's not a viable candidate for violence or for somebody for a predator. Like she's not a predator. Like, there's no way. She uses the understanding that it does not see her as a threat to her advantage. Yes. Amazing. Iconic. And to that effect, the notion of medicine, right? Like, 
this thing that in this world, in this this nation, we see as something that is relatively feminine, sort of the gathering of the flower, the gathering of the medicines to sort of have, it feels like a very female thing within this tribe. Using that as a way to literally survive, like taking this plant so it slows your heart to the point where your body cools down and the predator literally can't see you. She's using this feminine thing as the only thing that's going to save them. Like their swords are not going to save them. Their bows are not going to save them. Their guns their are not going to save them. None of that will save them. Even guns, firepower, even the ironclad bear traps. None of this is going to save them. The one thing that does in this moment of a, in a dire situation is the thing that they have deemed for her character and for her tribe as a feminine task is the gathering of the medicine and the keeper of that. Fucking cool. So sick. I, I'm just like every every moment of this, I was so impressed. Um, I also want to comment on the way that the movie keeps us engaged with her as our hero in its sound design. Um, so fucking neat. Like the moment she goes underwater and her ears fill with mud, we can't hear either. The sound yeah. drops out as soon as she can't hear, we can't hear. As soon as she's underwater, we're underwater. Something happens over here, we're hearing it over here. We're we're experiencing the world through her eyes quite literally in a lot of this movie. And I know some movies will do this to some extent, but like this was such a choice and it felt so good. Like it it made you for me at least, it made me pay attention to like okay, like that is limited now. What are we seeing? We can't hear, so what can we see? Like, oh, we can't see, what can we hear? Like, we're trying to go on this journey in the same way that she is. And I feel like that brings us closer to her. It brings us, it makes us more cognizant of what is happening and what she's going through. And I thought that that was just like because a really fucking nice touch to this movie. As she's learning, so are we. Like the way that the film is written and the way that it's shot, it's like, we're learning, oh, okay, this is how I'm going to do this. This is how I'm going to use this. Oh, the predator can't see us or doesn't want to, you know, because we're a th- we're not a threat. We're tied up. They're just going to walk away, right? The way that she interacts, like, I feel like the writing for this is just so good because you're right. We really do go on this journey with her and everything is also supporting that writing. And also Amber Midthunder absolutely crushed this movie she did such an incredible job i'm so excited to see her in avatar oh my um, god I she's can't... so good uh, avatar the last airbender not the yes. other avatar yes yes yes, yes, yes. um <laughs> but like she's so good and and like everything about this was intentional and with her like and like as as an audience like we're so close to her because of all of the things that, you know, it, it felt like a really intimate movie. And I was thinking about that as we were like, as I was watching it, I was like, this feels, I know this character, you know? And I'm like, I don't know if it's because I'm a, you know, a woman and I can identify with some of these things that, you know, she's, she's going up against like sexism and things wise. Right. But like you feel so connected and so close and so intimate without ever having to go to um typical hollywood like oh my god i'm a woman i'm so pretty or like you know like go to like these superficial like typical feminine things but like literally everything that she uses all all of these different strengths i don't know it's it's such 
an intentional and well-written and delightfully surprising yeah. movie. I wish that more movies were like this. And I'm Same. so glad that we got this. I never Same. thought I would say that about a Predator movie. I know. It's, I mean, because to me it is, it's far and above the best of the, of the, of the franchise of like, it's it's just such a good movie in general to that point of like feeling close like there's an int- intimacy to the movie i noticed they shot so cl- they, so much of her was close up like we're watching her sleep right like she's asleep or right on her face she's walking like the the scene where where all of the women of the tribe are walking the opposite way and we're watching the mothers and the matriarch and the 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 cooks and the 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 gatherers we're watching them all as they walk in the opposite direction as she walks towards camera and it's like right up on her fucking face and we're watching this all happen like it's just i feel like the way it's shot is so it makes us close to her like everything about everything oh my god it's just it's so good i really there's not like a lot about this movie that i have an issue with i mean some of the cg was a little a little sticky but i mean i mean it's a tv movie it's a tv movie (laughs) um yeah it was it was i mean it was excellent i i want to i want to talk about some of the um cool gross stuff for a second some of the violence was so fucking cool like for Predator, like Predator's famously, he's the spine guy. Like he's the raw, I have your spine. Like he's gross and scary and we're afraid of him. In this movie, some of these contraptions and the way they showed how he killed people, absolutely brutal. Like the fucking laser net. Like he threw this like net yeah. around the sky against a log and then from underneath we watch as the laser collapsed through the log and cuts it to pieces and suddenly there's a mess of chunks of person and wood smattered around the ground that we do a close up on. <laughs> so scary. Oh my God. And the way that, that that fucking like sword disc comes out of his wrist. I also liked that we're getting a lower evolution or like a lower model of some of this tech, right? Like in the other one, it's a laser cannon. In this one, it's like metallic spears, like mm-hmm. small metallic spears that launch out. So we're getting a, a like, this is several hundred years in the past, a different version of the Predator, which I thought was super cool and super neat. I love that there was a in this fight with the French people, the predator drops those like little bomb, like those little cylindrical with the red stripe around them. There's like three of them as they float. I love that it was like, what the fuck is that? Like, we don't know technology. This is scary. What is this thing? Oh my God, this is terrifying. And then from like a long shot, we watch as this red light encompasses the whole area within like 300, 400, 500 feet and all of the trees collapse. You're like, oh, so they all got cut in half. Fuck, that's gross. Ugh, so much cool shit. I just, I'm. it's so neat, and I'm so impressed by so many elements of this movie. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, there, I do, yeah. since we're on that, the, the topic of, um, one of the things that I don't know if I like this or not, um, so, you know, there's great emphasis placed on this gun that Naru is given, right? Yes. And it's like, you know, she tries to fire it and it's unreliable and she's like, fuck this, right? Also, uh, on the same note as like the Frenchman and everything, I liked that the awful skinnings that were happening, like an inhumane skinnings, weren't the predator. They were actually the Frenchmen kind of like being like, no, the, these people are the real monsters over here. Yeah. Um, so I did like that. I thought that was really a good thing to include. Um, But the gun that she's given, right? It 
is it shows up in the second Predator movie. And I only know that because I watched that because we're like, well, I guess we're going to watch a couple of these like because you know, <laughs> we have nothing else at the moment. So we watched Predator 2. It was an awful movie. But yeah, uh, at the end, um, what's his name? Ends up killing the Predator on their ship, you know, and then the family of uh, tribe of the Predator is like, you know, takes the Predator's body and he's like, whoa, you're all going to kill me. And they're like, nah, man, it's cool. Like, you know, uh, this is part of the hunt. You know, he knew that this was going to happen, maybe. And then they give him a gun and it is this gun. And to me, I don't know if I like that because that means that at one point they came back and decimated this tribe. tribe. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, oh, cool. <laughs> I know where this, like, this is a tie-in, but also like, well. Where'd you get that gun? How'd you get that gun? How'd you get that gun? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, clearly Amber, uh, clearly Naru's dead. <laughs> clearly. Yeah. 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 Cause does she take the gun? It's, does she have the gun at the end, or does she I leave it she there? Does. does she leave it at the camp? You know what? I'm I, gonna hope that she leaves it at the camp. The same, because I don't remember if she took it with her. Because I remember when she's about to fire it, and that's when her brother sacrifices himself. I don't remember if she drops it, throws it, or just runs, or if we get any sort of like moment where I don't know. I don't. I don't remember. But it is an interesting little callback. Speaking of, um, her brother. Yes, I do want to talk about her brother. Yeah, that moment where Tabe he takes or they they do they they cut him right the the French colonizers when they pull him out of the cage in front of his sister, yes. they cut him across the chest with a knife, um, which is also I mean it's it's just a, a nod to the first one when what's his name takes the knife and cuts it across his chest as a sacrifice right. to the predator to let the others get away. I don't know if there's any other significance around that action itself apart from the implied sacrificial elements to it, where these colonizers are planning on possibly killing her brother in front of her. And the, uh, what is the other character's name from the first one again? Billy. Billy. Yeah. Or or if there was any sort of a part, like where Billy just takes a knife across his chest, if it's just like a symbol of like aggression or vulnerability, whatever, it was a comment on it itself. There's mm-hmm. just a, like a, a little winky nod to the original in the same way the pistol was yeah Tabby's is an interesting character because like he's obviously the pride and joy of the family and dad died so he's like the man in the house or whatever but he he's interesting because he does try to stand up for naru like there's certain times where he like obviously gives her ship and i was like okay that's cute it's definitely brother sister but then like he stands up for her and he's like oh no she's she's a tracker she knows medicine come on like let's do this but then after that, they find the the guy. They, you know, she decides I'm going to go and like, this is mine. I'm going to I'm going to hunt this lion with you. This is going to be my kill. Right. And he's like, all right, cool. Let's do it. We'll do it your way. And I was like, cool. This is great. Like, yes. And he's like standing up for her. I love this. But then he sends her away <laughs> after she fails the first time. And she fails because she sees something predator wise and is like, this isn't the real predator. The real the real threat is over there. Right. Um, so she slips and falls and then he takes her back and he goes back and, and kills it. But like he doesn't tell her at all that he killed the lion because he followed her plan and because she had actually weakened it. Both of those things. The only reason he was able to kill that lion was because of her like her ability, uh, both physically and, and planning wise. Right. And he doesn't tell her that until he's like about to die. 
And he was going to go, what, to the grave with that? Like, now that he's, like, brought this back and was, like, he didn't even try to share, like, this is a moment where he could have, you know, um, challenged his peers around him, right? And been like, look, I did this, but I was able to do this because I followed her plan. And because of this, she came back here because she got hurt and that's fine. But also like share some of that credit, right? He just took it all for himself, yeah. um, which is... I To me, it's teenage boy behavior. It's yeah. like, it just clearly is that like, he obviously loves his sister, but in these moments of peer pressure, he's going to be like... Oh, yeah, she is a dumb girl. <laughs> like, it, it seems he's a good guy, but he's also an easily swayable character who will go with the flow of whatever it is. And I'm sure, to, to me, what that felt like is it felt like he was carrying this shame with him. A, a, a sort of a, like a sexist-based shame. Like, I can't yeah. believe my sister was right. I'm supposed to be, I'm the one. I'm the one of the family. I'm the one for the tribe. It's me. My sister was right. What does that make me then? Like, if my plan didn't work and hers did, and the only reason I'm alive is because she's smarter than me, what the fuck am I? Like, fuck. Like, I'm sure in these these days that we were watching his character, he's just wrestling with that. Like, it's eating him the fuck up that he knows, nobody else does, he's the only one who knows that she's better at, better than him at this. And that can't be true. There's no way. This is his livelihood. This is his... This is his whole identity, right? An identity that she wants. And suddenly she's proved herself more capable than he. And he is struggling. And You know, I like that better uh, because, like, I was like, it does make sense. You do have to think about it a bit, but it it does make sense. Because to me, that's what it felt like. Like, he was just, he couldn't come to terms with it. And then in this final moment where he echoes the same thing he told her, where he's like, you stand up for yourself. You stop and you say, this is as far as you go. This is as far as I go. Also, the only reason I'm here today is because of what you taught me. Like he knows he's going to die. He knows that she's going to carry on. And Mm -hmm. the one thing that he can't take with him, the one thing that he needs to tell her is how much he respects her and how much she means to him by way of explaining that like, she saved his life. And to me, it was like so beautiful because it was just like, that's the one thing she needs to hear right now. Like, obviously their family, obviously he loves her. But the one thing that he's carrying with him that he can't carry with him to death is this information. And I do think with that knowledge, it's not because of him, but I think that moment of like, I see you, the resonant like, you are the one like it was never me. It was always you and you know it. And now I know it. And now you know I know it. I think the resonance of what that meant is sort of the fuel some of the fuel that she uses to kill the predator. Oh, absolutely. Because, she, I think she, she Yeah, she uses this knowledge of her brother and and a lot of that stuff I'm assuming she learned from him, but she's just better at it than he is. <laughs> like she's just inarguably a better hunter. And so I do think that like part of that last fight is like for him so so it feels i know there's not like a direct expositive moment to say like for you like this is for you because it's not we're not getting there but that's what it felt like to me and i think granted i wish that he would have stood up to his friends i mean granted all of his friends died which sucks right but i wish that he would have stood up to his friends for her like in that first moment when they're going out as, as a search party like she has to convince them because she has medicine that like she's viable and she's worthy. Like 
the only reason these people didn't die earlier is because of her. <laughs> like in the same right. way that Anna, the only reason that they didn't die earlier is because of Anna. Anna had information. Anna told them stuff because of the way that men constantly put down and devalue women. The devaluing of women is going to actively kill you <laughs> in these movies. Like, I mean, truly. Yeah. I mean, not, you're, also you're not listening. <laughs> it's like you're going to die. Like in that moment, too, I mean, like, I'm sure I mean, because she had that line, like, you know, you made my brother bleed. So you're going to bleed. Right. Like yeah. when she was talking to the Frenchman. So like that absolutely works really well when, you know, uh, taking revenge on the predator. And I think she also had started to doubt herself because she's like, fuck, this plan didn't work. Fuck, this plan didn't work. This didn't work. I don't know. Now everybody's dead, you know. And so for him to admit that, I think that meant a lot as like, a, you know, brotherly, I love you. And yeah, you you are the one. And I'm sorry, I'm an asshole. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think it also gave her the confidence that she needed in herself to defeat the predator because I don't think and, and that's the thing, right? Like walking in the world in like these male dominated worlds as a woman, it's really difficult because, you know, you just constantly hear that you're shit, right? And even if you're capable of something, like, that sticks in your head. Like, that shit, like, even, like, at the worst possible moments, it'll, you'll fucking doubt yourself and then everything will come crawling down. And as a woman, you don't really get, like, a second chance in a lot of things, right? And that's, you know, yeah. she had one fucking chance to, like, get this lion and then it's like, all right, you're done forever. When if it was a dude, like, they they would have had multiple chances, right? Or at least, you know, I, I'm not sure culturally, uh, but, like, in... Just general in in patriarchal societies, that's and, kind of how it is. Yeah, proven, in, right. In our understanding of the society we currently live in, yes, it's not our place, and we can't say specifically for the Kamanji people, especially in this context. Yes, we have no clue. But based on our experience here as white people in this current society that we currently live in, which is a patriarchal system, one hundred percent. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's also why, like, some of the stuff I was saying earlier about like the feminist, like, it's hard at least for me to sort of like accurately describe these things because I don't know, like it's not my culture. It's not my people. It's not anything I'm really knowledgeable about. I can only come at it from a perspective of like what we know as gender and expectation of gender currently, just mm -hmm. in terms of the roles that are deemed appropriate for the presentation of gender in these societies. Yeah, and what they're so. showing us in this in this film, right? And what they're so, showing us in this film, the, the language of the film. Of this film. Yeah. Because it's did... not like I'm pulling that out of the... It's like they're telling us like, oh, this is like the femme thing. Like you can't... I'm taking it as a communicated story beat, not as like a, well, she's a girl. And so <laughs> she needs to... I don't care what they have to say. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. yeah. I also... Um, <laughs> One of the other things I loved about this is when Naru, um, when all the, the boys were like fighting the predator, they actually held their own pretty good for a minute, like way better than the Frenchmen who were like, oh my God, my guns. Like it was so comical watching them try to do that. But like here we have these, you know, awesome like indigenous warriors that are just like, Aah! and they like, that fight scene was so cool. It's like, sick. It was like, so cool. <laughs> the way that the way that it's like diametrically juxtaposed, like these bumbling gunpowder full doofuses who have these guns, these guns that could destroy a life in an instant with such little effort. The pulling of the finger, it's no effort whatsoever. They're flailing in this way. Whereas we cut to Naru's brother and his friends 
and the way that they work as a team and the way that they hold their own with such effort and such intention and such specificity it's so intentional and cool to see like yeah they could hold, like i mean obviously it killed them like they all died which yeah. sucks but like they did hold him back for a while they really gave him a run it was Obsessed really good it. also the thing that we haven't talked about at all yet is the best supporting actor sorry oh sorry so um, cute okay so cute they so they told so we we looked it up <laughs> apparently they adopted the dog for this film it was not a movie dog and Aww. so they spent uh they spent a long time trying to train the dog but the dog it was apparently was like the biggest pain in the like lovable pain in the ass to <laughs> film this whole thing because the dog was just so fucking happy to see everybody and to be outdoors and had to go and do all the things and be and say hello to everyone hello hi how are you hello so like in some of the test screenings with their families and stuff they're like oh that was really good it definitely needs more more dog and they're like you don't understand we are using literally every single usable shot with this dog every single (laughs) shot that is usable we have put it in here already there is absolutely no more to to go around literally so (laughs) cute i will say the scariest part of this movie and early on eric did look it up because sometimes when we're watching movies oh uh, eric will look up like is the dog okay like yes like the biggest spoiler is is the animal going to survive like i have to know I, you have to know. Because to me, I was just like, there are so many moments. Like when that bear's coming up the hill, I'm like, fuck, 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 I was fuck. like, no, they're not going to do that. They can't they're do this. I, do this will be a bad movie. This is a bad movie yeah. from now on. It yeah. literally would it would like change my entire view of the movie if that was a choice. And when Eric looked it up, he was like, oh, yeah, the dog, the dog is fine. The dog is great. More than fine, even. And you're like, oh, God damn it. Yes. Let's go. <laughs> like, I'm ready to watch this movie now. <laughs> Especially because like, as you're like, you know, it, like we were talking about the intimacy of like being with Naru, right? Like a big part of that, especially in the beginning of the movie is with her dog, right? Like it's just the two and of so, them. Yeah. And you see this wonderful bond and it's just like, whenever <laughs> I just like, traumatized i think whenever i see like that sort of a relationship on screen i'm like oh no that dog is gonna die literally i'm so i'm so distrustful of movie makers because time (laughs) and time again for the tear for the the tear jerk for the cry scene for the sad moment for for the the character to then overcome or for the revenge for whatever the dog or the animal is always the victim for the most part always used as as the story chess piece into the final act or at the end of the final act like that is always the case and i fucking hate it so the fact that they avoided that completely especially because that first like fifth of the movie is like her and her fucking dog literally going out there hunting training learning loving being exit like it's just it's like them like the village is an afterthought her brother is an afterthought it is her and her fucking dog and i'm like they can't be setting it up like this like it's too much i want more of this dog but the way that you're making it seem you're really setting it up for us to love this dog so many other directors in the past have taken that dog away do not do this <laughs> please don't <Yeah. laughs> you can't you can't do this oh yeah but that dog um amazing so charismatic so cute um what a ham what a sweetie pie and not to not to be whatever but this movie's in a tight hour 40 
I love yeah, I concise so movies. I was so impressed. And it's, it felt long, too, at certain points. But, like, not too long. It felt it like... Me- it yeah. felt like a two-hour movie, and it was an hour forty. Like it how never they did meandered. that, yep. I don't know. It, it was. They had cl- quiet moments. They had, you know, like they weren't afraid to like sit on a moment. You know, like when Naru runs across the skinned buffalo, right? She has this moment where she's just incredibly like taken aback and like takes the time to like sit with them, and I I felt the weight of that, right? So they're not afraid to give weight to that, even in a film that's an hour forty. Yeah. The joy I felt watching this movie, I could not believe. Like, tearing up in that last fight scene where she's literally using everything against him. She jumps from the branch and, like, knocks his fucking mask off. Like, if you're going to see me, I'm going to fucking see you, you mutt. Like, and then, like, everything about it. I was like, it is such a triumphant, wonderful movie. It's like, I feel like, (laughs) I don't want to get, like, too wild with this. But I feel like it's, like, everything we talk about. In, on this podcast is like being a good movie it's like non-white centric it's like non-male centric it's subverting the expectation of gender normativity it's subverting the expectation of white supremacy it's subverting the expectation that like every turn and 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 famously against one of the most macho monsters in cinematic history yes for not only just like in general for this to be a movie about subversion and for it to be a native story and for it to be a femme led story like but for then for it also to be a triumphant femme native story against the fucking predator that is the twist of the season i can't even handle how cool that fucking is like i feel like everything about this movie is good it's literally so i i'm so impressed i can't believe how good it was i'm so pleased by how good it was because we i mean how many fucking movies do we do jess where it's just like you tried but fuck that sucked or like mm, some of it was good some of it was bad i feel like more this was a good idea but like the execution you know the writing is good but the cinematography or like there's always something that's amiss or something that's off but i don't think there was anything in this one and it's yeah. so great and this is this is what we talk about when we say you can revive these old stories and franchises and everything absolutely but do it with intention you know yeah. what story are you telling who are you centering like what do you want to say with this movie and this is literally it's this possible. is the this is the example this is the yeah. the epitome of what we mean when we say yeah. like I'm not mad at remakes. I'm mad that yeah. they're bad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know? I think really the only problematic aspect is, again, written and directed by white people. But even then, there is still intentional. Like, I would rather reframe that and say, like, okay, this is using your whiteness for good. Right? Like, you're taking the power that you're given just based on your skin. And you're making it a non-white story. And, like, with the intention and sort of, like, the inclusion of true Comanche people and doing an entire edit of this movie in a native language like it's cool it's cool and I feel like yes give more uh non-white people the power for once and that includes maybe this movie but we have an incredible indigenous superhero is what is what they gave us and and I mean they made a fucking movie star she's so cool like really so fucking cool Amber I want to watch Thunder everything with her. It's going to be fucking sick. And I know she's been in some stuff, but this is like huge. And especially for all the acclaim this movie's getting. 
I can't wait to see her as UA in Avatar. That's going to be so fucking also, cute. Also, all of the actors that have tweeted about it so far like have been like, if you haven't watched Prey, absolutely go watch it now. This is incredible. This is an amazing piece. Amber, you were absolutely incredible. She's great. Welcome to the family. Like in this way where we just talked about the first one, like where it's just like hyper masculine, right? And it's like, I can't imagine the sexual Tyrannosaurus saying like, yes, this is a good movie, right? Or like, yeah, look at this little girl. Like I got you. But like he was the first one, I think, to tweet and be like, yeah, this is it. This is it, right? Like you did and such a great job. This is amazing. So to see these like hyper masculine people, to see them throw their support and their love and their praise towards this film and towards her, I think that says a lot. Just Fucking about sick. like, yeah, it's really cool. We are back. Here back. we are. Here okay. we are. Eric. Yes. Predator, the first one. Mm-hmm. Who was it for? You know what? I thought about this before I came here today to do this episode because I feel oh. like every time we've done an Arnold movie, whenever you ask me who it's for, my default is to say it's for him. And I'm going to triple down on that. It's for Arnold. <laughs> Woo! For Arnold, this movie was for him. It is a flexibate cavalcade of queer, conceptual, shitty, misogynistic gun porn. Like, that's the film. Congratulations. It's everything that Arnold dreamed of. When he's pumping iron and talking about how lifting weights is better than coming, this is the movie for this man. For me. (laughs) Who do you think it was for? Um, I think it was for the meme, the bro Venn diagram meme. Like, okay, but like, I, I was so silly. I thought that that was like some sort of a like drawing or something that somebody had made like that meme. I never realized that it was from a fucking movie. But now listener, do yourself a favor and just go watch that clip on YouTube because it does go way too long. And now I get it. And I think it was for that. I think it was for that moment and that meme. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I agree. I that's yes, that is correct. I can't believe that that's from this movie. Oh <laughs> I know. Um, did you like it? <sighs> eh. It's like the more we talk about the queer allegory, the more I'm interested in it. But I wouldn't necessarily say that I like it. I think it's pretty boring. I think it arguably has nothing to say. I think it's tepid. I think it's. I'm gonna give it a, a like a soft no. What do you Um, think? Did you like it? Like the queer allegory thing is like interesting, but also we know that this movie was written to be Rocky versus space, right? Um, Yeah. And that it's just very one pass. And I feel like if I want to watch a good queer allegory, I or like a queer gay allegory, I will just watch um, The Thing because I think yeah. that did it better. And, oh you know, God. again, talking about the the invisible killer and all, like, you know, that kind of thing. I think that that's a much cooler idea to entertain in that movie. Um, but no, I didn't like it. It was a snoozer. Yeah. I was so bored. It wasn't even like silly bad. It was just kind of bad. Like maybe the, the silliest thing was like the music and then maybe like the last fight scene. But like, a lot of it was yeah. just really fucking boring. Yeah, I I agree with that. It's it's meh. It's big meh vibes. Big meh. 
How about prey? Was this new interesting or the same? Progressive regressive? Where does it fall for you? I mean, it could not have been more all of it. Like, it was new. It was interesting. It was progressive. It was the ascension of the IP. Like, it... It got rid of some of the stink. It got rid of some of the stench of Predator as an idea. Like, I feel like it brought it up in Echelon. Like, it changed my opinion of who, what Predator is and what Predator can be. Like, it is such an outlier for the franchise in the best possible way. Like, if you were, again, like we'd said before, if you were to tell me that this was, like, going to be a Predator movie, I'd be like, that's a great idea, but whoa, that's never going to get made. And whoa, really? Like, that is such an outlier. Good luck. It got made. It's happened. It's happening. And I think it's literally so cool. It's new. It's interesting. It's progressive. Like like I was saying, everything that we want from a movie, I feel like it delivered on. All of our qualms with most films, this movie excelled at. I, I feel like I couldn't be more impressed with this movie. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I absolutely love like okay we're not on that question i'm sorry i just can't stop saying these phrase um but it was it was new and interesting and fresh and progressive and in all of these ways where i couldn't get enough of it i was like great this is incredible like i could you can watch this and none of the other predators and i'm fine it was also the same in like some of these story beats that we talked about and some of the the cut across the chest the gun the traps at the end right the way that you know like but not in this way that felt like it was being a dead horse or it wasn't like nostalgia for nostalgia's sake right or it wasn't like um and it also didn't feel like in your face with the progression like you know with how progressive it is like some of it can be really preachy this just felt like it was a world that existed and you know it felt really good to watch because it was, I still can't believe that they told the story in an hour and 40 minutes and it was so good and it was so intentional and it was so well thought. Like the way that this is, we've already said, written, uh, <laughs> shot, acted, like everything is just like, honestly, textbook how you should how movies should be made, I think. And I yeah. like, and it was just so interesting because it doesn't center white men you know white masculine men i feel like we got a story that we truly have never gotten before and we got something so new and it's so fucking refreshing who was this for for native representation i mean just as a big true statement an unambiguous and earnest take i feel like it was for native representation i mean how many films are entirely like native cast, native led, and with a fucking native dub? Like that's crazy. That's so sick. Yeah, I um I think it's for Amber Mid Thunder and her career yep. because God, how great. Also, it's for the dog because um they were rescued and now they I I try to look up who the pup lives with now and I couldn't find it, but I'm sure that they have a wonderful home with somebody from the cast. They crew. want to keep their privacy. I get it because that dog is a uh, goddamn star. Oh my god, <laughs> such a sweetie. But yeah, I mean, a, a lot of the stuff that I've been seeing online, you know, because I was trying to look up like articles to you know interviews with the actors or with the consultants or the producer uh jane myers jane i'm so sorry i am not pronouncing this correctly but myers is a member of the comanche and the blackfeet 
nations. So like I read some of the articles where they were interviewed and everything so far, like I was just like, is this really actually good? And is it actually like good representation? Like, and, you know, even the the actors were like, I haven't been able to play a strong, like this, this strong of a character that, you know, like, um, that's indigenous that, you know, like, and I'm like, great, I love this. I love this. Let's, let's do yeah. more of this. Obviously it's, it's so needed. It's so interesting and it's, it's wonderful. Uh, did you like it? I loved it. What did you think? Did you like it? Oh, absolutely. This is one of my favorite films that I have seen at least in the last decade. Yeah, it's it's excellent. It's an excellent movie. Yeah. Go literally, go like if this didn't convince you to go see it and you haven't seen it yet, go watch it. It's on Hulu. IP context be damned. Uh, it It is its own thing and it's yeah. amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, anyways, thank you so much for listening. We love you so much. Please do not forget to rate and review us wherever you get your podcast and follow us on all of our social media platforms. It helps us and we really love you for it. Even if you don't do it, we still love you. Mwah. Our artwork and music is by Eric Lefebvre. Editing is by Danny Barkley. And thank you again, Eric. Thank you, Jess. And remember, stay cute. And stay critical. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. Oh, burps. <laughs> This podcast has been brought to you by the Nostalgia Network. Visit thenostalgianetwork.com for more. Avatar The Last Airbender is more than just a show. It's a conversation of growth. Of trauma. Of culture. Of intention. And of change. The Mamas and the Appas is a weekly conversational podcast from the Nostalgia Network dedicated to discussing the Avatar universe as folklore, episode by episode. I'm Eric Lefebvre. I'm Dr. Amber Jones. And I'm Jessica Tercero. Join us weekly as we dig into all things Avatar and Korra, including Uncle Iroh's hot bod versus his war criminal history. Avatar Aang's well-meaning cultural revisionism versus Zuko's performance of toxic masculinity. How ultimately Katara is the savior and the hero of the story. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, the or wherever you get your podcasts.